0: Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolf. On this edition, we look into 3D printing and synthetic food. First up, Angus Devison returns. Angus Devison is an entrepreneur and industrial designer. He met me at the Redfern Studios of the Community Broadcasting Association to talk about micro manufacturing. Angus, you've got a business called Microfactory. That's correct. Yes. And it involves 3D printers.
1: It does involve 3D printers, among other things, yeah.
0: So tell me, what are the other things? Okay,
1: so it was hard to put all my skills I learned graduating into industrial design into one thing. So I do 3D printing, but I also do the freelance design
0: work, uh, laser cutting,
1: basically any sort of rapid manufacturing process
0: so do people come to you with designs or ideas for things that they want to build hmm.
1: yeah so people come to me with ideas that they might want they envision to be um, constructed or made but they're not sure exactly how they can go about it so i'll sort of design from the start with uh, rapid manufacturing in mind for the end product so that might be for example the ability to cut something out of a complete flat sheet of um, plywood and fold it up so you don't need any expensive processes and with 3D printing, of course, you can have just one final product. You don't have to make a mass production, like, batch run or anything.
0: So I guess that'd be really good for movie and TV props. Mm,
1: definitely. Um, I haven't done any projects like that, but I definitely would like to, yeah.
0: Yeah, it sounds like that'd be, like, constant business because they're always doing new things for a one-off.
1: Exactly. And, um, rap- or like, 3D printing and other rapid manufacturing techniques are used a lot in, in uh, you know, like, prop, prop design and that sort of thing these days.
0: And what sort of printers do you have?
1: Personally, I have a machine called an Up Mini, which is a desktop-sized 3D printer. And I've also used services such as Shapeways, which is uh, based in the Netherlands and America. And they are basically an online service you can upload your files to. And you can get prints from stainless steel, silver, um, nylon, all sorts of materials, and they'll send it back to you.
0: That's amazing. So mm. you could make quite complex things. And with 3D printers, we've covered that a little bit before on the show, you can make complex objects, can't you?
1: Absolutely. There's almost no design limitations that you'd have in otherwise more traditional manufacturing processes
0: like injection moulding. So I guess I should get your opinion on the the latest controversy with 3D printing is the 3D printed gun. (laughs) Now, my understanding is it's not a big deal physically, because one, in the US, you can already get guns pretty easily. So criminals and terrorists would just buy a gun because it's going to work. Whereas a 3D printed one, it's going to break after the first few shots is my understanding.
1: Yeah, well, he had a few troubles initially with like um, the lower receiver parts and all that. Um, But yeah, this all in one 3D printed gun, Uh, the barrels, I think, are single use and they're just plastic. So... I don't think it actually has much of a barrel, it's actually the bullet's almost right at the end of it. So there'd be almost zero accuracy compared to a normal gun. And I figure like if someone's gonna to go to the trouble, they'd be gained off the black market. There's this to put three D printing in that sort of aspect, he's proving a point, but
0: Yes. No one would do it. I think he's doing it just as a political point because Pretty he wanted much. to see if he could provoke a reaction and he did.
1: He did. He did, and good on him for provoking a reaction, but <laughs>
0: But otherwise, it doesn't seem to be a big deal. And the other interesting thing is there's food printing with 3D printing. There
1: is, yes.
0: And I recall seeing on your website (laughs) something that looked like a cake decorator.
1: That's right. For my final year project, I designed a cake decorating 3D printer machine, uh, which was crazy looking in the hindsight (laughs) because I had to design it all from scratch. But it, it was basically designed to decorate cakes for small bakeries using a, uh, an extruder which would extrude chocolate or icing rather than plastic for normal 3d printers
0: right yeah so that's that's one of the services you're offering in the micro factory uh, no it was just an, <laughs> it was an experimental
1: prototype which worked sort of right um, I designed a fully in 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 CAD I designed a, a completely manufactured manufacturable uh, design for it but it's just all uh, vaporware at the moment it doesn't right. exist the, uh, the prototype uh, still exists, but I wouldn't eat anything it makes. Because
0: <laughs> there's a, I believe there's a 3D food printing event happening at the Powerhouse Museum on the 30th of May.
1: Mm, yeah, that sounds awesome.
0: So we'll, we'll see what they're up to. And you're teaching 3D printing in high schools.
1: I am, yeah. yeah. So I teach 3D printing to uh, like, sort of year 7, year 8, year 9 students. And we use a really basic CAD software package called Sculptris, which is almost like molding virtual clay um, with your mouse. So you, can, you get this blob, and you start with a blob, and you sort of push and pull it and shape it into a figure or some sort of design or object you come up with. And then once they do that, we can take them to the 3D printers that the school has and print their design like right in front of their eyes, basically.
0: Right. So what's the name of the software again? It's called Sculptris. Sculpturus.
1: Yeah, so it's produced by a company that produces ZBrush, or ZBrush, which is like an industrial leader for um, uh, 3D animation, and that sort of thing. So Sculpturs is like their free sort of induct- in introductory software, but it's very easy to use. And even though it's stripped back, it's actually still quite powerful. The kids have been doing cupcakes, I've seen ponies,
0: caterpillars.
1: All sorts of things. Like it's, They're really not limited. They can just,
0: whatever they think of, they can, they can design. That's amazing. And the printers, um, are they printing coloured objects at the moment? Or uh, do you have to paint them? No, you can get
1: printers that print in sort of a powder medium. So almost like a normal colour printer will print colour onto paper, it does that to each layer of powder. So you actually can get full colour 3D prints.
0: Wow. They actually do exist, yeah. So that'd be amazing. You just get something straight out of the printer that's exactly what you want.
1: Exactly. It, they're they're quite fragile, unfortunately. That's the only downside at the moment. They sort of, they're a bit like stone in in texture, so they will uh-huh. shatter. But uh, yeah, like you can get full color prints, which is pretty amazing.
0: It is pretty amazing. And for the software side of things. If people want to get into 3D printing and the prices of printers are, are, are dropping at the simpler end, yes, absolutely. Um, what sort of software would you, re- is this the software you'd recommend they try?
1: Well, there's two different sort of avenues you can go down with software. If you want to do really geometric things, uh, Sculptress would not be a good choice because you can't actually do any straight lines. It's all, all organic. So it's perfect for that. But if you're trying to do really um, geometric things, there are other options such as 123D, which is produced by uh, Autodesk and that's another free option where you can do you start with basic shapes like squares and and, uh, triangles and that sort of thing and extrude and cut away to actually form a final object.
0: Right. Hmm. And for the objects that are already up there, there are catalogues online of um, open source objects.
1: Yeah, there's a, a website called Thingiverse where basically anyone, I've got a few designs up there, anyone can upload their 3D printable objects or laser cuttable objects and you can just download them and make them yourself
0: right so if you were to buy one of the cheap end like um, 3d printers, mm-hmm. which I guess can be anywhere from a thousand dollars down to two hundred dollars I think the cheapest uh, ones like, on Kickstarter they're promising anyway they're
1: promising um the machine I've got is probably the lowest priced ready to run commercial machines the up mini and that's a, that's a grand yes so that's probably the lowest for that anything lower are uh, more sort of um It becomes more of a hobby to maintain the printer rather than print things. Yes. So there are are um, RepRap-based machines, which do work, but you have to invest a lot of time into getting them working.
0: And the RepRaps are mainly made from 3D-printed parts, aren't they?
1: Yeah, that was the basis of the RepRap project. You could replicate a machine, so it's like a self-reproducing machine. That'd be amazing. Yeah, it's a nice idea. Mm -hmm. It's
0: amazing when they finally... I mean, I guess if you've got metal printing as well... You could do almost anything, but the electronics.
1: Yeah, well, they're trying to trying to really push that. Like, how how far can you get a finished object out of these machines? And people are experimenting mm. with um, printing circuits into into fully fully made products. Yes. And uh, separate materials that are commercial printers that will print uh, like a a rubbery material inside of a hard material or around it to make um, you know parts with live live joints in them and all that mm. sort of
0: thing. And there's been things in the press recently about. Australians, Australian researchers printing cell-like material.
1: Yes, it's amazing. I, I, that's still beyond me. I don't know how
0: they're doing that. <laughs> well, it's amazing stuff. So if people want a, if people have a design that they want you to make, how do they approach you?
1: Um, well, they can contact me through the website. So there's a contact page there.
0: Yeah, what's the website?
1: It's uFactory, uh, so that's a letter u, factory.com.au.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I guess people could download things from Thingiverse and then alter it to suit themselves in the software.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There, there are um, programs that will let you change the mesh files you get from, from Thingiverse to whatever you like or combine them. There's something. It's pretty much a toy just for creating horrible looking objects of combining this and that into one object and being able to print it. So,
0: what about scanning objects for 3D printing? Yeah. Is that hard?
1: Uh, it's not actually as hard as you might think. There are there are programs out there, like by Autodesk, there's one which lets you take loads of photos of an object from all around it, and then it'll combine it using, like, cloud-based uh, processing power and then send you back a, a mesh of the object you've just taken all the photos of.
0: So you could do that with a mobile phone?
1: Yeah, you could do that with any sort of camera, basically.
0: That's amazing. So if you needed a spare part for something, you could just take a whole bunch of photos as a scan. hmm and take it to someone like you and get it printed out?
1: Pretty much. like You might have to clean it up a little bit, but it's getting there. Like, well, that's it, what
0: they pay you for. <laughs> that's
1: what they pay for, exactly. Yeah, but it's getting there. The technology is does exist, and a little bit of like, patience, it, you can actually do that.
0: So tell me about the 3D Printing Meetup group.
1: Okay, so that's a new group that's been organized by uh, Stu. So he runs sort of these meetups in the city every few months. And each one, like for example, last time, we had a few different types of 3D printers there on display for anyone who might be interested to come and watch them working, ask questions. Um, and we did scans of a head to make a PEZ dispenser, which is awesome. And yeah, it's fantastic for anyone who's sort of keen on this idea of 3D printing, but don't actually know much about it. They want to learn more. So it's, it's, it's on the, uh, the meetup.com website. It's the Sydney 3D printing meetup.
0: And where do they meet?
1: Um, so we meet in different locations around the city. It depends on each each meet.
0: Oh cool! Yeah. So people should go onto meetup.com and do a search for 3D printer meetup.
1: Yeah, Sydney 3D printing
0: meetup. I think. <laughs> all right, we can put a link up on the webpage. We'll put a link up. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, my memory's not so good. That's all right. So we'll put a link up on the web page. I think I might have to come along. It sounds really interesting.
1: It's very good. Um, there was so like last time there were so many interested people. I was it was pretty pretty amazing. Really seeing how many people actually are just
0: so into 3D printing at the moment. Well, Angus Devison, thank you very much. No worries. Thanks, Ian. That was Angus Devison, entrepreneur and industrial designer. You can find out more at ufactory.com. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Lab grown meat, 3D printed food, and giving up on food altogether. Are these the future of eating? All three of them have been features of stories by science fiction writers for over a hundred years. A 250,000 euro hamburger made from cow cells cultured in a laboratory will be eaten in London next month. NASA has commissioned a report into pizza made by 3D printers for its astronauts building on the success of 3D printing with chocolate. An engineer who feels food wastes his valuable time has combined all of the essential nutrients listed in the textbooks to make a complete food replacement and he's lived on it exclusively for over a month. As William Gibson wrote, the future is already here, it's just not evenly distributed. I spoke about lab-grown meat when this project was started by Dr. Mark Post at Maastricht University in the Netherlands back in 2011. Real meat is made from many different types of muscle, fat and other cells that give it flavour, texture and nutrients. The problem is that real meat is made cruelly. An animal has to die for its body to become meat. There's also a problem with the amount of land and resources it takes to make meat. In the science fiction stories, Meat is grown in vats from living flesh derived from animals, but it's not a whole animal, just the parts we like to eat. But you're still growing an organ. It's fed by nutrients like a plant. In the lab-grown meat of Maastricht University in the Netherlands, just the cells from the neck of a cow are grown, and they're just tiny strips of pink slime. They're nourished by what is euphemistically known in the trade as bovine serum or calf serum but which is actually blood siphoned under vacuum from the foetuses discovered inside pregnant cows that have been slaughtered. This is not cruelty-free meat. Serum is blood without any cells, platelets or clotting factors. You may not be eating the calves, but you are eating cells fed on their blood. The meat has to be grown in tiny slivers instead of chunky steaks because the cells have no veins to bring them serum so they have to absorb it from the dish as they lie there. Dr. Post uses a type of stem cell called a myosatellite cell which the body itself uses to repair injured muscle tissue. After replicating the stem cells in the bioreactor the nutrients in the growth medium are greatly reduced which starves the stem cells and forces them to differentiate into muscle cells. Stem cells starved to make meat. Over time, the differentiated cells merge to form primitive muscle fibres called myotubes. The myotubes grow into strips of muscle attached to some secret kind of scaffold in the dish. The strips measure about a millimetre thick, a centimetre wide and two centimetres long. They're exercised by stretching between the scaffolds. The scaffolds used to be made of Velcro. In 2008, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, PETA, offered a million dollar prize for the first people to grow meat from cells cultured in the laboratory. Either they didn't read the small print or Peter have a vastly different idea of ethical treatment than the rest of us. Peter's rules for the one million dollar reward require applying by the deadline date in 2012 and making commercial sales two years later. Heston Blumenthal, the creative chef of Heston's Feast TV show, was to make the lab-grown hamburger taste good in 2012. Unfortunately, they weren't ready for Heston, and the hamburger tasting was delayed. Instead, Mark Post is holding an event in London in June 2013, which will be serving up hamburger assembled from thousands of tiny slivers of muscle tissue grown entirely in fetal calf serum soaked petri dishes. The event is to encourage new investors, and is timed to match the new 2013 deadline of the PETA competition. The burger's €250,000 price tag was paid by an anonymous donor, in addition to funding from the Dutch government. Peter hoped the first commercially viable lab-grown meat would be chicken instead of beef because they report a million chickens are eaten every hour in the USA. To make lab-grown steaks instead of lab-grown hamburger, you need a system of veins and tubes to feed serum to the different layers of the steak. Modern Meadows in the USA plans to use 3D medical tissue printing technology to accomplish this. Instead of printing organs for transplant, they're printing organs for the table. Now they anticipate a yuck factor, so they'll be starting with printing some lab-grown leather instead of meat. Skin is an easier structure to print than steak. If the public are happy to handle leather grown from cow cells in the lab, then they'll be groomed to be comfortable with eating lab-grown steak fed by calf serum from printed veins. The Modern Meadows bioprinter will extrude layers of living cells into moulds made of agarose gel also known as agar jelly, made from seaweed. Andrus Forgax has printed veins for people so printing them for meat should be similar. In 2010 as CEO of the tissue printing company Orgovax he successfully printed human veins made from human cells. The first step to making his hamburgers is similar to Professor Post's meat, in that cells from a cow are cultured in a bioreactor using calf serum. Then they centrifuge the cells to remove the serum and encourage the cells to clump into spheres. Next, they print them into layers. The layers fuse together and are put back into the bioreactor to grow. After several weeks they cut off the serum and the skin becomes hide, ready to be tanned into leather. Currently neither 3D printed leather nor 3D printed raw meat is available. Having been fooled myself in a blind taste test by the vegetarian burgers of the Lord of the Friars in Melbourne, I see no need for lab-grown hamburgers. I'm hopeful that the same flavors might be scaled up to some kind of steak-like texture on a 3d food printer using vegetable protein as its feedstock lord of the friars will be opening an outlet in sydney later this year while researching this story the following words came into my mind the problem with laboratory grown meat is the fact that the meat has to eat cultured cells must be fed with the blood of the dead it's a pity the flavor's so sweet 3D printing of chocolate is now a reality. But NASA have funded a six-month study into printed foods for astronauts by Texas firm Materials Research Consultancy. NASA warn that their current food system can't meet the nutritional and shelf-life needs of a five-year mission to Mars. NASA's current nutritional system is individually prepackaged foods that are stable enough to last on the shelf, processed in a way that unfortunately destroys some of the nutrients. The food is also selected before the astronauts leave the ground so the astronauts don't have the ability to choose their own food or cook anything themselves. There isn't the variety needed for long missions. The proposal by engineer Angin contractor is to build a machine that prints in starch, protein and fat for structure and texture, and then has a separate nozzle to print micronutrients, flavour and smell. The feedstock for the printer would be powdered food, combined in the printer with water and oil to make a printable paste, which can be combined with flavor and texture modifiers. Yummy! The planned printing system will provide hot and quick food personalized for nutrition, texture and taste. The company suggests that the US military could use the 3D food printing system in submarines and on aircraft carriers, and that the use of 3D printed food would reduce military logistics problems because of its efficiency. They further suggest that 3D food printers could feed the world. Contractors sees a future where every kitchen has a 3D food printer and the whole world feed themselves nutritionally appropriate food synthesized one layer at a time from cartridges of powder and oils that they buy at the corner shop. Powder would have a half-life of 30 years so you don't have to worry about the use-by date. And since we're eating food made from powder far removed from its source, why not go for the cheapest and most easily available sources? Why not make the protein powder from edible insects and algae? Contract suggests that the first application for 3D printed meals should be pizza. Pizza is ideal because it's already made in layers. The pizza printer he's building will extrude one substance at a time from the printhead. First it will print a layer of dough onto a hot plate. Next it will print a layer of tomato paste from a powder cartridge mixed with oil and water in the printer. Finally, the pizza will be topped with a protein layer which will probably come initially from milk or vegetables. Perhaps powdered cheese? Contractor will open source his recipes so that other people can get creative and make new dishes. His prototype printer is based on the open source RepRap printer. The RepRap is designed to have as many of its parts as possible printed on other RepRaps. It's a self-reproducing rapid prototyper. Contractor is enthusiastic about alternative cheap food sources that would be made enjoyable to eat by the printer. Space food will never be the same. If all this weird food has made you squeamish, don't worry. ...Rob Reinhardt has invented a complete food replacement formula you can drink every day instead of eating. He calls it Soylent, after the food in Harry Harrison's overpopulation novel Make Room Make Room... ...and made famous in the Hollywood adaptation Soylent Green. Silent Green is people! In the novel, Soylent was short for soybean and lentils. The 24-year-old engineer felt that the time spent shopping for food... Preparing food, consuming food and cleaning up after food is time better spent doing other things. So he studied physiology textbooks and simply ordered samples of all the nutrients known to be necessary for good health including fibre and then mixed them up in a powder. He lived for a month on just drinking his soylent powder mixed with water. He adjusted the nutrients as the liquid diet changed his health. He felt energetic and very focused. He's started up a business to make and sell Soylent using a free crowdfunding platform to raise over $300,000 in just a few hours. He's given out the recipe to people who have volunteered to log their body's responses to the liquid food. Soylent claims to be cheaper than fresh food, lactose-free, halal, free of allergens and will keep on the shelf for years. Reinhardt wants to work with aid agencies to reduce hunger around the world. For people who actually enjoy food, perhaps soilent is a perfect feedstock for 3D food printers, guaranteeing that whatever the flavour or texture, the food will contain all the nutrients you ever need, just like Bachelor Chow on Futurama. I'll be visiting Sydney's Powerhouse Museum next week to try out some 3D printed chocolate creations. Silent breed is people! And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, standing ovations, gasps of amazement and helpful suggestions to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please send me an email so we know you're listening and would like to hear more episodes. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network and syndicated on the National Science Foundation's Science 360 internet radio station. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com That's www.diffusionradio.com And if you have any science-based limericks or poems, send them in. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice. For more Science Wondering next week, on Diffusion Science Radio. Looking at the URL,
1: the first thing that sticks out is the colon. And how about a slashing or cutting sound for the slashes? To complete the experience, we might throw in the HTTP and maybe some kind of download sound. www.diffusionradio.com Lachlan Whatmore on guitar.